guys. We, would you just stand just a moment while we read a couple of passages, and then I'll let you be seated. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 26 and 27, um, and then we'll just quote maybe the next, next one. It says, this is Paul writing, and he says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Among who? The Gentiles. Now, a lot of times in the Bible when it refers to Gentiles, it's not only talking about non-Jews, but it's talking about people that are not, as we say, would say born again or doesn't know the Lord in that kind of relationship. So he's, he says to, to these Gentiles, and what is this mystery that has been hidden for generations and ages? Which is, he, he tells you what the mystery is here. What is it? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if we read that to mean that Christ is only in believers, we make a tragic mistake and we do disservice to what the verse just told us he said now the Christ has been in people this has been a mystery it's been hidden from them for ages they didn't know it even in the Gentiles and he says this is this this is the mystery and this is the only way that people have hope is they come to the realization and the awakening that Christ is in you now even though I'm saying Christ is in you, I'm not saying that you're necessarily for those that carries me to where I, I not necessarily want to go. I'm not saying that everybody's saved, but I'm saying Christ is in them. How many believe God is omnipresent? Well, that's one of his attributes, one of his characteristics. What does that mean? Omnipresent, what does that mean? It means he's, he is present where? Everywhere. Really? You believe that? So he would have to be inside people that are not born again. Or, or, or he's not omnipresent. Now he's either omnipresent or he's not. So if he's omnipresent, then he's everywhere. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Even if you make you, if you inhale, he said he's there. That's what it says. If he's in hell, you don't think he's in an unbeliever? And see, this is what Romans 3.23 says, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory? Christ in you. When you come to realize that Christ is in you, that's your hope of ever coming into the glory that God intended you to live and walk in and be in. Amen? Now, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul, and I, I mention this verse fairly often, this is Paul writing, and he said, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son where? Not to me. And I'm telling you, that's not a poor translation. That is exactly what it says in the Greek. That's exactly what it says, that, that, that Paul came to know that Christ was in him the whole time. He just didn't know it. And he said, God revealed that to me, that Christ was in me. And that's the startling revelation. And that revelation was so startling to the Apostle Paul, and we'll talk about that later, that he had to go away for years and just think about it. 
He couldn't even deal with it. He went off into Arabia and hung out for like three years, <laughs> just trying to wrap his religious brain around that. Amen? You can be seated. I entitled this today, The Revealing of Christ in You, and the word revealing is appropriate because that's where it's like the, the book of Revelation. Now, the word revelation is actually a, a, a Greek word, and it's uh, apocalypto is the, is the word, how it's pronounced, rather. And what that word means, revelation, means to, to take or remove the covering. It would be like if you had something sitting on the table, you had it covered with a, with a napkin, and you pull the napkin away to reveal what's under there. The reason that's significant, because it's not saying that it has not been there, and now all of a sudden it appears there. It's just simply something was covering it and not revealing what was already there. And what happens is that napkin, that cloth was removed and it exposed or revealed or manifested what was there. That's why the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, he's always been there, but, but God's revealing fully who he is uh, to us. And so th th this is the big idea today. I want you to get this, and, and God has really uh, uh, drove this in my heart. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, things, you know, you think about, and, and this is all this uh, revelation, I guess, as we say, the revelation of Christ in us is still unfolding in my heart. Um, but I think about all the way I grew up in church and all the things we would say and how we would pray. And everything almost that we said, everything that we prayed, uh, assumed God's absence and separation from him. And we would, we would have, I remember even as a young boy, we had, we had what the, they called in our church tarrying service. We tarried. Anybody, know, anybody old enough to remember what that is? So what, what, even in that service and how it would be announced and how we would conduct ourselves, we are assuming that we are separated from God. And that... Uh, and that we're trying to get God to come. Even some of the songs we sing, you know, uh, many of the old songs, you know, in one song, you know, come Holy Spirit, come. It, it, it assumes if you don't know what we're saying, it'd be okay to say it if you know what you mean by that. Um, but to say come Lord, you know, is to say that he's off out there, we're here, and we're like children left at home waiting on our parents to get home. Um, I remember sometimes when I was, you know, uh, 9, 10, 11 years old, and there'd be times that, that my parents would not be home, and, uh, and it would get, you know, later, late. Uh, I, that wasn't comfortable for me at all. And I would want them to hurry and get home where I would feel safe and secure and, and their presence would be there. Um, a lot of times the way we pray, we, we, we would pray and, and our prayers would actually assume separation uh, from God. And, and I've talked to you, you know, about that and how that, that's not true, that when man sinned, God did not separate himself from man. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came just like he always has, and he communed with them and he talked with them, and, and he's always uh, been that God. But that's not what religion has taught us. Uh, and so I remember... Now, I was trying to think, and it just like there's some things hit my heart this week. Uh, I, you know, the first real major hurt that I can remember having uh, happened when I was uh, five, I was either five or six years old. 
uh, I think I was five, because by the time I turned six, we had moved from uh, Cook County to Tifton. Um, but I, I had a dog. Anybody remember the TV show? It actually started in 54, if you can believe that. Lassie. Anybody remember that? With little Timmy and Lassie. You know, Lassie would always run up and try to talk, you know, speak to him, you know. What do you mean? Where are you going, boy? And then he would lead them back and rescue somebody or something like that. And for, I remember as a little kid watching that, you know, television program on a black and white TV, you know. That was a big deal. And so I, I, my, my, I, had a, I had a dog like that. I had a collie. And to me, he was my Lassie. And I remember, I remember that distinctly. And, uh, but I, and, and so I, mean, I just loved dog, and it seemed like the dog was about as big as I was. <laughs> you know, it just seemed that way to me. You, know, you ever gone back to places that you were when you were a kid, and you go back, and they, they seem so small? <laughs> you know, like we lived here. I can't believe this was. And it, you know, as a kid, you thought it was so huge. But, but one day, unfortunately, my dog got hit by a car out in, in the street. And uh, at least in our world in those days, I mean, if there was a vet around, you, nobody, you didn't spend money on You just didn't do that. And uh, so he didn't, go, he didn't go to the vet. Uh, my dad said he was mortally wounded, you know. He didn't use that term, but anyway. But I remember him taking him out back, and there was some real tall, like, sage grasses or some type of stuff. And he went out there into that area, and I heard the gun, you know, and, you know. And so uh, he, he just said, he, you know, he, was too, he hurt too bad. Had to put him down or whatever. Well, you can imagine I'm five years old. I mean, you just killed my lassie. You know what I'm saying? And I, I really couldn't comprehend. I mean, and so I, it didn't It didn't really, uh, I didn't feel good about what my dad did. Uh, I just didn't understand. I mean, I don't see, you know, it just didn't seem like it was a chance given, you know, to my dog. And it just broke my heart. And uh, and, and my dad was doing, you know, the best he thought to do. We, we didn't, I'm, I think we were trying to focus on groceries and trying to survive, you know. And uh, there just wasn't no money to go to a vet. And so, the, you know, and my dad buried the dog. And I remember going out there, you know, hours later in the backyard by myself to where, where you know, obviously he had dug a hole and, and buried him. And I'm standing there, and I'm crying. And that's my whole world, really, as far as an animal. And, I, and, and, and we, we didn't go to church. I had no paradigm for Jesus or nothing. I don't even know if I even knew there was a Jesus at that point. I don't know. If I did, I don't remember anything about it. But I do remember this. I remember standing there looking at that dirt pile, and a, and a voice began to, to say, I love you, and comfort me. And it wasn't my parents. I, I remember that. I remember that presence. I remember that. That, that comforting that I felt as a five-year-old standing there with tears running down my face. Now, I don't have any recollection of hearing that voice again until I was seven. And by that time, we'd moved to Tifton, and I went to the first and second grade in Tifton, Georgia. I don't know why. I have no, you know, I don't know why. But every day for those two years, or, you know, those days, uh, my dad worked, my mom stayed home, and my dad carried me to school every morning. At this point, my, my brother's not even, my younger brother, two years younger than me, he's not, not even in school yet. 
And so my dad carried me to school every morning. He would drop me off at school, and then he would go, uh, and he worked at Dixie Finance. That's where he managed that office in Tifton. And so uh, that was our routine. And every morning, uh, he had a four-door Plymouth car, and I sat in the back right corner against the door, and when my dad pulled up, I could open the door, step out, close the door, and he's off to work. And that was our routine, and we did it every morning. And I remember uh, one of those mornings, and it was our routine. And as I look back on it, and I think back on it, it was like he was my chauffeur, I guess. I'm sitting back there in the back, you know, he's driving me to school. Uh, it's it just, and, and that, those are the days, if you remember that, no seatbelts. <laughs> and if there were any in the car, you didn't wear them. And... Uh, None of that. So I'm not in the back seat for safety reasons. I'm just, I don't know why I did that. Maybe Daddy told me when we started out getting the, getting the back. Maybe he had stuff strung out on the, on the bench seat in the front for his work. I don't know. But I remember one morning as I went to get in the, the car for him to carry me to school, I heard that voice say right up front, right up front with your dad. Now, you got to remember, I'm, I'm, I'm seven years old. I'm not coming up with this stuff intuitively on my own. How could I? Why would I? Because what happened that morning, I, I, I got in the front seat. And my dad said, what are you doing? And I said, I just want to ride up front with you. He said, okay. I mean, we're rushing to get to school, you know, life. We're going down... Uh, the street there in, in Tifton, and uh, it's a, a wide street. I'm trying to remember the street, 12th Street, I believe, whatever it is, uh, but uh, 8th Street. But as we're going down that street, uh, a guy's coming, you know, uh, we're going, you know, like this way. A guy blows through the, the uh, stop sign at a, you know, they estimated over 50 miles an hour, and he hit the car right where I would have been sitting with no seatbelt. And I mean, just brought like half of that metal inside where I would have been sitting. Uh, I spent 20 years as a paramedic, so I understand now the dynamics of automobile accidents and what they do to the occupants. Um, when that, he hit us so hard that it put our car in a spin and a car that was coming this way had no choice but to hit us again and spun us back this way. So we've got, we had two strong collisions, shattered all the glass in the automobile except the front windshield, and uh, which it did break that. And uh, my dad had some pretty significant lacerations, but I, I was relatively un, untouched. Uh, I, I, uh, I think I maybe broke a tooth or something. And, uh, and everybody, and I still have a picture from the newspaper clipping of the car. Uh, it, it is really torn up, and uh, I started to try to, I didn't want to take time this morning to try to look up and find it and get them put it on the screen for you, but if I did, you'd see, man, that car is really messed up. And, and, uh, and you go, and you look back on that kind of stuff, and you go, what, what, you know, why? Why on that day, which was the only day that I ever moved from the back to the front, did I do that? And you're going to tell me divine presence is not present in that moment? Because had I been sitting in that back seat where I normally sit, I would not be talking to you. I wouldn't be here. And it's just obvious. obvious with, I just wouldn't have been here. I could not, as a little 
you know, seven-year-old took that kind of impact, it would have just crushed every bone in my body as it hit me and knocked me to the other side of the automobile. There's just no way. And, uh, and my life was spared. I remember when I started, I was 11, coming into 12 years of age, the lady, we had moved from, my dad had got transferred from Tifton with Dixie Finance to Vidalia. We, then we, I went to the third, fourth, and fifth grade in Vidalia. And uh, this was before they invented the onion. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> it was there then, but it wasn't famous like it is now. And uh, I think maybe we, I even started out in the sixth grade there, and we came, we were, my dad got transferred where he wanted to be back to Cook County to be close to his dad, my granddaddy. And he got transferred back to Adel to, to Dixie Finance. He managed that office there. And uh, we, we still, we're not a church family. We don't go to church. Okay. Um, we, none of those towns did we ever, I ever remember going to church one time. We didn't go to church. Okay. Y'all ever heard of people like that? <laughs> and uh, uh, so I remember where we moved back to Adel, there was a lady right across the street. Uh, her name was Ruby Little. Her husband was named Ishma Little. And, uh, and I thought really even as a kid that they was a little bit nutty, uh, particularly Ishmael Little, because he would mow his yard with a push mower, and he would be mowing, he'd go, hey, yo, glory, and he would do that often, the whole time he mowed yards. First time I heard him, I thought he'd run over something, hurt himself, you know, <laughs> hurt his foot. And then I realized he does that all the time, just hollers out praises to God. So to me, he was a little nutty. Now, I don't think that now, but I did then. Because who does that? I mean, and I'm loud enough that I'm across the street and we can hear him. You know, we just got, it just started being part of our neighborhood. You know, who's that? That's Ishmael. That's Ishmael. Praising God. Well, they went to the Church of God where she taught Sunday school. And it wasn't long before she walked across the street and she asked my dad, can I take your two boys to, to Sunday school to be in my class? And my dad didn't immediately say yes, but after her, she was pretty persistent and we went, finally. And we wanted to go because she told us that in every Sunday in one of the uh, lessons on the seat, when you walk in my class, there will be a quarter. Now, I don't know what you know about that time of the but a quarter, you could fill up a little brown bag with candy, penny candy, down at John, John, John Godwin's grocery store or a little store at the end of the street. So a quarter was significant to us. And so, uh, so we started going basically for the quarter. Uh, we didn't care nothing about Sunday school, but we would ride with them, and they would take us to church. Uh, and so we would go. But what's, you know, and, and so that's how, I remember one Sunday morning, I went into the Sunday school room, and I found my brother in there uh, rummaging through all the lessons in the seats trying to find a quarter. And it would be prophetic of him in the financial arena. <laughs> he was, I guess, I don't know. But he, would, he meant he was getting that quarter that Sunday, and, and he did get it. I don't know if she let him keep it, but anyway, he did find it. Because uh, she would just fold it up, stick, you know, stick up the lessons and stick it in there. But she was really serious about us to get to know the Lord and Jesus. And, uh, and, you, you know, and, we, and so we started going. I remember that voice. And I remember talking, like a conversation. I had no training for this. And I remember the Lord, you know, wanting me. And, and to me, I had it in terms of what I had learned as a legalistic contract and exchange, you know, sign on here, you're saved, or, you know, be, you know, that kind of deal. 
And I remember we had gotten a new pastor uh, there at the church, and we had a little bitty pink block church over there off of, in, you know, uh, you know, in, in town. And, and but he had built a big, you know, we had built he had built a big church out on Forty One, which is still where they're located today. And uh, you know, and it was, and of course, it took a year or so of building. And we were already going to church then, and of course, that was pretty exciting. Uh, now, this pastor meant to build a big church, and he did. And, uh, and he liked to kill himself physically doing it because he personally visited every person that came to his church every weekend, every Saturday. He personally went to their house, to every house. And he didn't do it one weekend. He did it every weekend. He may not be there for 30 seconds, but he's going to knock on that door and say, you're going to be in church in the morning? <laughs> And uh, he would do it when we started coming, even though my parents didn't come. He said, them boys going to be at Sunday school in the morning, Mr. Young? And my dad said, yes, sir. Then they started buying buses and running buses. And at one time, the ADL Church of God had, had three buses running, full buses, uh, every Sunday morning hauling kids to church. Kids. Because a lot of parents would let the kids come when they wouldn't come. This pastor would ride by. If he saw a, a big wheel in the yard or a tricycle or a bicycle, he'd stop. You know, it's a different culture now, but, that's what, but back then, that's how, and he'd know kids live there, and he would go there and try to get their kids because he knew if he could get their kids, eventually he'd get the parents. And so I remember our church in Adel in that time period, early 70s, running 400, 500 people. I remember one Easter we had 700-plus people. Can you imagine? It would be years later, I'm speeding up the story. My dad actually started coming to church, received Christ, became a bus driver. And I would ride on the bus as he went. And he would make two runs. He would fill it up one time, dump them out, and then we'd go back for a second load. And I have pictures of all those buses lined up. Because when they would buy the old bus, then they would, uh, you know, solicit all those children and hand you a piece of sandpaper and throw you on top of it and say, sand this bus because we finna get it painted. <laughs> That pastor believed in getting us, you know, working. When they're building a new church, we're out there with brushes, you know, scrubbing the concrete off the brick. And I remember my brother will never forgive that pastor because that pastor told us we had a big pile of concrete all messed up. He said, if you get all these cleaned up, I'm going to carry you all to the Pizza Hut in Valdosta. Well, we cleaned them up, but we never got to go to the Pizza Hut. <laughs> and my brother, will always, he always, he's still wounded about that. He has unforgiveness. I got over it, but Pat, you got to be careful what you tell kids because they believe you. Uh, but I remember talking to that voice that was wooing me, drawing me, talking to me at that early of an age. And I said, I said, listen, I remember being in the back of a trailer hauling furniture from the old church to the new church, talking to him, Christ in me. And I said, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept you, and I'm going to live for you, but I'm not going to be saved right now. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do it in the new building. I remember the night that I was riding in the back of a trailer. They had us holding on to the furniture so it didn't fall off, and I remember that's what I told him. So I was telling him, like, just kind of leave me alone, but when we get in, I want to get saved in the new building at the new altar, and I want to get baptized in the new church. And that's what I told him. And he was good with that. And that's what I did. So when I turned 12, and it's like he reminded me, you're in the new building now. 
I know I promised you. And I went down front and I did the religious contract thing, said the prayer, you know, all that deal. And Christ was awakened to me, in me. I was baptized. And, it's, and the trajectory has been awesome ever since. Now, I was going over that in my heart this week. And God was just kind of replaying the video for me. And it's like I heard the Lord say to me this week at, at my age now, that, that uh, you know, do you, do, you think, do you think that on your own, due to your own faith that you've generated or your own piety, that you did that and brought yourself to me without my... Do you, you think you did... Do you think that was you? Do you think you did that without me being in you, revealing myself in you? Do you, do you who, who do you think was hugging you when your dog got buried at five? Who do you think told you, sat in the front? Who do you think that was? Do you think you come up with that? Are you that smart on your own? No. I've always been in you, son. I've always been in you. I've always been in you. If I ever pulled my presence, and this is what the Bible teaches, I don't have time to go, but if God ever removed his presence from you as a human, you would cease to exist. Because you live and move and have your being in him. And that's whether you're a church person or not a church person. He's in you. And if I can get you to awaken to the reality of Christ in you, your life will dramatically change. But I want you to know that he's always been with you, that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. But not only has he been with you, but he's been in you. And he's been on the inside. And so you, you look at examples like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and, 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 and on the Damascus Road, his, his encounter, they call it, where God encountered him on the Damascus Road. And when they say, you know, he was known as Saul, and he's, he, 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 you know, he's on this journey. And he's killing Christians. He has the authority to punish them and throw them in prison. And, and Paul later in Acts, at the very end of Acts, admits to this when he's standing before the king. He said, this is what I was doing. I had authority. I, I, I gave my permission for them to be stoned and uh, tortured and even killed. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's the one that gave the authority for them to stone Stephen to death. Paul did. And... Uh, and so he's on this journey, and he thinks that he's doing what the God that he knew would do. And I want to tell you, and I'll, and I'll unpack this later at some other time, but every, even Old Testament people, their view of God until Jesus came was more, it was like Zeus. You know Zeus? So that's how even the Jews saw God as like a Zeus type. Uh, uh, and that, that's just a fact. That's how they saw God. You know, uh, vengeful, punishing, punitive, vindictive, violent at times, God. Uh, and that's why until Jesus came, nobody knew God. That's why it says nobody ever seen God. But the Son has seen him. And the Son has revealed him to us. J Jesus is what God says about who he is. If you could hear that, that's an amazing statement. Jesus manifest Jesus in the flesh. Jesus is who God, if you don't know what God's opinion of himself is, that's Jesus. Jesus says, because Jesus said, show us Father, they said, show us Father, Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen him. 
It says that I am the exact, it says the Bible says Jesus is the exact presentation, the exact manifestation of the invisible God. Exactly. So anything, I've tried to teach you this, anything you ever think you know about God, you cannot accept it if you cannot find it in Jesus once he came to earth. And, and this is for another time as well. But sometimes you can go to the Old Testament and you can see some very violent looking passages. And boy, I tell you, it's troubled me. So much so that I had had a tendency to just stay out of the Old Testament because it would confuse the daylights. I mean, because here I am, revelation of grace and goodness and love and kindness and long-suffering and forgiveness and unconditional love and all that. And then I read a passage where God's like saying, kill them all, kill women, kill children, kill animals, kill infants, kill them all. And not kill them because they've done something, but kill them because four generations up, their grandparents did something. And I want them to pay for it. So kill them. And, it, and it's, I, I can show you, and we'll talk about it some, in brutal passages, brutal. And I would read that, and I'd go, that, that don't match at all. That, that, don't, that don't sound nothing like Jesus' daddy. What am I to do with that? How am I to process that? Um, and I've had people show me passages and say, well, what about this, Pastor? What about this? And they want to indict God as being a violent, punitive, or like God was, you know, Jesus came to save us from him, from the Father, the angry, punitive, distant, abusive, violent God. So Jesus, didn't, Jesus actually just came to save us from his daddy. <laughs> That's kind of what I grew up with. Or that Jesus was the sacrifice and his daddy, you know, had to have blood or he ain't going to be happy and he ain't going to, you know, chill out. So he, you know, he punishes Jesus so that the blood will be spilled and then he's somehow appeased. None of that's true. It's all religion. And I've had people point and say, well, that, you know, hey, with all this right here, like that, you know, the first, what I'm referring to, I think it's 1 Samuel 15. But it's like, wait a minute now. It said God said. It said God said. Um, what we don't understand about the Bible, the Bible's smarter than we are. And God's smarter than we are. And the way the word is written, if you don't read the Bible through like the, the Mayus Road guys, got a revelation of how to read the Bible, you're going to be really messed up. And if you see the Bible as a, as a flat plane from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to really get messed up. The Bible is not a flat plane. All scriptures do not have the same weight. I'm not saying things are not true, but there's something that's more true now than that. Because see, when the first preaching that Jesus ever did in Matthew 5, Jesus said, now you have heard it said, and he's quoting the Bible, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if a person looks. And so Jesus, you know, he's, he's talking about the Bible. And you've got to understand a lot of people, the Bible, a lot of the Bible is metaphoric. When you read the Bible and Jesus in that sermon said, if your right hand offends, you cut it off. How many people do you see running around amputees because they obeyed the word? So in other words, you're reading the Bible. It says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, in other words, if you've used your hand to commit any kind of sin, you should cut that hand off. That's what Jesus said. Literally, that's what he said. Yay or nay? Did he say it? Is it in the Bible? Well, why ain't you cut your hand off then? How many has taken a machete and cut your hand off and been obedient to the scriptures? Nobody. Oh, well, that ain't what it means. Oh, here we go. You're going to open that lid now. So you get to say when it means something and when it don't then. 
Well, well, you don't mean us to take that literally. Really? How do you know which verses to take literally and which not then? You just pick and choose? Is it a smorgasbord? What you like, what you don't like? <laughs> I'm bothering you on a... <laughs> Let me just go on and say I agree with you as a non-amputee standing before you today <laughs> that I did not take that literally. And I really didn't even understand why it was said and why that example was given, but I knew that Jesus couldn't mean that. So when I've had people say, point at something and go, well, you can't, and, and when they, I've had people say, well, that, that says that God did that. I say, my, God didn't do that. I don't care what it says. Well, it says right here that God told Samuel to tell Saul, King Saul to do. I said, I don't care what it says. And so you can't say that. That's the word of God. I said, that's not the word of God. That's not the word of God. What? You're telling me that's not? I'm pointing at 1 Samuel 15, and you're telling me that's not the word of God? Exactly, that's not the word of God. It's not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And all written scriptures must bow to the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was face to face with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word of the living God. And the written Word must always bow to the revelation of the living Word, which is God. So the old covenant, the old, those verses don't trouble me any longer because I have a greater, more superior truth than that about who He is. And that's Jesus. And I can set my heart at peace. And, that's how I don't, and I can say, I don't care what that says or what you think it says. And a lot of times God let people in the old covenant write what they knew about him up to that point. And God gets blamed for a lot. And I can show you passages where it said a demon, it was, God sent a demon to speak a, a, a voice, you know, and then, then it said Satan sent the word. Well, which is it? I can show you two different passages where it said, you know, uh, 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 God spoke, you know, and sent a demonic word. And then it's later on in another uh, book of the Old Covenant, it says Satan did it. Well, which one of them did it then? <laughs> they wrote by inspiration of what they knew. That's why they said nobody has ever seen God. Only the Son knows the Father. And if you're going to know anything about God and who he is and how he is and what he is, which is love, you got to see it through and in Jesus, the living word. Isn't that good? Uh, I remember that, uh, that voice and just me coming to the realization that whole time as I look back now as an older person, God, you, you've been, I've been talking to you forever. And you've been talking to me, you know, before I was in. And this whole thing about, you know, and this is where the church world lives. And we've all been trained that way to think that way. We didn't come up with this on our own. But, you know, we want to know who's in and who's out. And, you know, if we said the prayer, you're in. And if you said the prayer, you're out. And this whole thing that, see, and, and that's the problem as a, as with, with Christians in general, broad brushstroke, is you, if you look at someone, and you perceive them to be out, 
and not in. And you're in, but they're out. So you, you judge yourself differently. You see yourself different. Well, they're in. They're not born again. They're not a believer. They're out. And I'm in because I said the prayer. I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. I'm in. They're out. I'm better. They're not better. That's, that's a messed up view. The, the, we don't see Christ in, see, Christ in them, Gentiles even. That's their hope of glory. It's for people like us to be a witness to reveal Christ is in you. And do you know it's real simple? If you run up to anybody and you ain't talked to them but 15 seconds and they don't know doodly about anything, just tell them this. Just t- tell them this. Just say, listen, I, I just want to tell you something. Christ is in you. Now, sometimes you don't even have to tell them who it is. What in the, the light is there. We sung about it. It was in some of these songs. That's how the Bible always puts it. Now, Paul said, I was on this road to Damascus, and a great light, a great light appeared. Now, everybody, every preacher that I ever heard preach about, including me when I first started preaching, so I'm guilty as anybody else, okay? But everybody that writes about the Damascus Road encounter and everybody that preaches about it, that I've ever heard, they, they write that as if it was a, God was here, you know, in other words, they, they write it as a outside, inside encounter, that, that, that God comes and, you know, in other words, in how I've heard it preaches, God come to, to the apostle, uh, uh, come to Paul and, you know, slaps him off his horse, you know, knocks him to the dirt. That's pretty violent if you think about it. And if God's going to slap him off and, you know, blind him and, and, you know, knock the fire out of him and awaken him to the truth. Why don't you do it? Well, I mean, why just that guy? I know some people need to get knocked around a little bit. Don't you? I know somebody could use a good slap upside off the horse. Just raising hell and causing destruction and trouble and trauma everywhere they go. I mean, why don't he knock them around a little bit? I, you know, hey, have you seen this guy? He's, he's deserving. That's not what happened. It doesn't say that. It just says a light appeared that was so bright that Paul fell to the ground. That's what Paul said. Now, everybody that I know, they, they, they write about it, preach about it from the outside in. Paul does it differently because he was the one that experienced it. And Paul always speaks about it from an inside-out revelation. And I already read to you, because what do you think at Galatians, the encounter he's talking about, what do you think he's talking about where when it pleased God that he revealed Christ in me? It, when did he get Christ revealed to him? The Damascus Road. So when he's writing in Galatians about that, that, that God revealed Christ in me, where do you think that occurred? It, it occurred on the Damascus Road. And Paul said, I awakened that day to the reality that I did not know that Christ was on the inside of me. And it was not an outside coming inside revelation. It was God's already on the inside, and he's coming and he's going to release it to the outside. It is, it's, it, Christ is in you. He didn't have this revelation and God changed his name, by the way, just to be good theologically. It doesn't say that. He, he, was, he changed his name to, to Paul, and they say, you know, on that day, God changed his name. It never says that in the Bible. Stop saying stuff that's not there. God didn't change his name because he had an encounter. Paul is, it never, it never says that. Saul is the Hebrew version of the Greek Paul. Who did God send Paul to preach to? The Gentiles. That's the Greeks. So in order to have a, a greater inroad to them, he used his Greek name. Paul did that. God didn't change his name. Now, God did change some people's name in the Bible. It just don't happen to be one of them. God didn't say, from this point, I call you Paul. <laughs> 
It's, it's not. Stop saying that because you're saying the exact same name. One's just Hebrew, one's Greek. Isn't that wonderful to find stuff out? Uh, Paul said he revealed Christ in me. It, it pleased the Lord to do that. And, and he awakened to that reality. I, I find it interesting that he was, by that great light, blinded. Because he saw that light. The light. Light. The light. Sometimes I talk to people that they've had experience with the light. They had a death experience, near death. They saw the light. You want me to tell you who the light's name is? His name is Jesus. You can talk to people in foreign lands that have no paradigm for Christianity, and they'll talk about the light, the revelation. And, and, and when, when God's ready, make sure you get his permission. But get permission and be a witness and tell them who, who the light's name is. Can I tell you who that light is you're talking about? That light that you're interacting with, that voice you know that talked to you when you were five and when you were seven. And you, you want to know who that is? His name's Jesus. Paul was in, in Acts at, at, at Athens on Mars Hill, and he was talking to uh, philosophers and, 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 and all heathen Zeus worshiping people. And Paul said, you know, and that's where he found the inscription to the unknown God. And, and Paul says to all those heathen, not in by religious standards, people, um, we're all God's children, he said. Paul told them that you're God's child. Read it. Acts 17. Read it. He said, for we are all God's children. We are all God's children. Those people, he said, you're, you're a child of God. See, you think, you think you become a child of God. No, it says, as many as received them, to them he gave the right to be called sons of God, not to become a son of God. So you ain't got the right to be called a son if you're not walking in relationship with Papa. But it don't matter whether you call yourself or not, you're still his kid. And he's on the inside of you. And he's been talking to you since you was on the earth. If you could receive this, I'm just going to throw this one under here. He's actually been talking to you before you got to the earth. And that's why you recognized him when he first spoke. But that's a whole other sermon. Because <laughs> you was in him before the foundation of the world. And he just blew you into a body and, and said, I'll talk to you again in a little while. Before I was in my mother's womb, Jeremiah said, I knew you. He said to Jeremiah, I knew you. Before then, I knew you. How you know me before I'm even in my mother's womb? Because you were in me. <laughs> Woo. Boy, that's some good stuff right there. And um, so Paul got that revelation that I'm trying to preach to you about today. The revealing of Christ in you. One last one and we get out of here. How about that? Uh, I've already preached a whole Sunday on this some time ago. But in Acts chapter 10, there's a Roman soldier, not Jew, Gentile. He is classified as a heathen. He is out. He is so out that the people that are in perceive themselves to be in, and the only ones that they perceive to be in is themselves, Jewish. It is against their law for, the, for anybody that is the in crowd to go into an out crowd's house. 
because you are rendered unclean. And you are commanded, don't even go under their roof because they are nasty. They are outsiders. We are insiders. They are out. We are in. They are unaccepted. We are accepted. They are unclean. We are clean. Don't go in their homes. Don't eat with them. Don't fellowship with them. Well, the problem is this Roman soldier, by the way, the Jews hated the Romans as a whole. They're under dominion and bondage. They're, they're being occupied by a foreign nation in their land. They're not happy with them. Okay? So here is a Roman guy, soldier, who has been talking to that voice that's been talking to him. Now, he's not saved. He's not saved. Yet he has a relationship with Abba. And Father talks to him. In fact, he has an amazing relationship. And in some ways, I envy that relationship that he had with Papa before he even knew Papa. Because he had an angelic visitation, personally. And that angel was very specific. He said, I want you to, there's a man named Peter, and he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, he's a tanner, so be sure to get the right Simon. There's a couple of Simons in the neighborhood, but he's a tanner. He tans hides for a living. So Simon the Tanner, he's lodging there, and I want you to send uh, some men there, and you tell him that, that, that you saw, uh, tell those men to tell him that I want him to come to your house and talk to you. And I want you to know that, that I've seen your almsgiving and how kind you have been to the poor for my sake. And I've received all your prayers, and I've heard them. And uh, thank you for that, by the way. And, and, and I have actually made a memorial where I am on your behalf. But, you know, they, they say you're not saved and you're unclean and all. And so... So Peter's on this roof, and it's the lunchtime, and he's waiting for them to get lunch ready, and he falls asleep and goes into a trance. And in this trance, he sees a four-cornered big sheep being lowered from heaven, and it's got all manner of, of unclean beasts. In other words, dietary that a Jew wouldn't eat, you know. There, there's all kind of animals on there. And the voice says to him, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I'll not do it. I'm a Jew. I'm, I've never eaten anything unclean. And so it's like he didn't get it played again. So they do the vision again. And then the same voice, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, I ain't fitting to rise and kill and eat. I'm a Jew. I, don't, I ain't never eat anything nasty like that. And he said, play it again. He didn't get it. And so they played a vision three times for him. And after the third time, uh, he, the, the voice says to him, don't you, listen to this now, don't miss this, don't you call unclean what I have already cleansed. God said Cornelius was already clean before he got saved. God said, I call him cleansed. Don't you call him uncleansed what I have already cleansed. And we're not talking about animals and diet and what you're going to eat after service today. We're talking about people. People. God said he's clean. How is he clean? Because this is after the cross and God has already sent his son who has taken away the sin of the... Is Cornelius in the world? Is he part of the world? You think he had any sins on board? They've been cleansed. Man, this stuff right here I'll just makes you. This man is having spiritual encounters with the living God and he's not even saved. And he's talking to him. God's talking back to him. God's receiving his prayers. God's taking note of his giving. 
And God sends an angel to talk to him and give him precise words of knowledge data, names and addresses of who to call and where they stay in. How many, how many of you got that kind of precise angelic visitation? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, and he ain't even saved and getting that level. <laughs> and so Peter arises and goes, and you know the story. He, Peter gets out there and goes in that, under that house. He ain't supposed to, and he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. In other words, we're all the same. God's no respecter of person. God's in all of us. Jew and Gentile. And then Peter says, for what purpose have you sent for me? He said, I don't even know. And then he said, then, and, and, and they said, you, you, we, you know, this voice told me to send for you. You would tell us uh, what we needed to hear. So Peter opened his mouth, and he begins to talk to him about Jesus. And he puts a name to, the, to this God. And it says, while he yet spoke, the Holy Spirit fell upon them fell upon them, and they began to praise and magnify God. And, and all the, the spiritual manifestations of that event are recorded. And Peter's like, when that was over, he's like, man, I am in trouble. <laughs> and the whole next chapter, chapter 12, is just Peter going back to Jerusalem and saying, listen, guys, I know y'all mad at me. I know the word done beat me back that I was in a Gentile's home and all this, and I'm out there claiming that Gentiles are saved now, and I'm telling you that's the truth. And who was I that I could prevent order? <laughs> he said there was like a gush of water that hit. How could I stand there and stop it? <laughs> Peter said, I couldn't stop it, man. It's God. He said the same thing to happen. Y'all remember what happened to us in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room and all? He said that's the exact same thing happened to these Gentiles. He said, all I'm telling you is we've got to talk to Papa about it. Because he did it. And at that moment, then from that moment forward, they realized that Yahweh, that Abba Father, had always intended for all nations to come to him and to the awakening that he's in them as well as he is in you. Stand to your feet. Amen. I love all y'all in the back row. I love all y'all back there. I love y'all. Brent, Sabrina, happy anniversary. I love you guys. So y'all don't think I can see that far back. I love you. Can y'all tell I just enjoy the fire out of this? This is my best time on earth is when I do what I just did. I love it. Because I love him. And I love to see people awaken to the reality of God's grace and how much he's always been there. And listen, if you doubt anything I've said today, hey, that's okay. It's all right, because religion has done a number on all of us, and it takes a while to drill through all that. Sure took a while for God. Here I am, 60-something years old, and I'm, man, if I'd have had this at 20, I'd be, I'd be something right now if, <laughs> if I knew this at 20. But I saw God more like Zeus when I was 20 than I did like Abba Father that I do now. I saw him as distant, not pleased with me, often angry at me, ashamed of me, disgruntled, and I thought he was the source of a lot of my pain and trauma, and he was paying me back. That's how I saw him. And I feared him not in a reverent way. I feared him in a way that he's going to kill me if I do it really wrong, or either when he comes for the everybody, he says, he'll leave me here and not take me with him. 
And then that's the whole thing for the, the young actor that got so misguided and did the Left Behind series. What you need to do with those is throw them away because none of those series are true. It's just a fear tactic. Left behind. The only way God could leave you behind if he left himself behind. It's ridiculous. But that's what religion does to us. But I want to say, if you doubt anything I've said, just do this for me. If you don't got no paradigm for nothing, do this. Just get somewhere, wherever your somewhere is, and just say this. Just say this. You ain't got to close your eyes even. You ain't got to put your hands like this. You ain't got to kneel. Just say this and mean it. Say, uh, God, whoever you are, whatever you are, what that preacher said, that Christ is in me, that you're in me, is that true? Is what he said true? Are you in me? And then don't say nothing else and just sit there and see what happens. You don't have to say nothing else. And he will reveal that he's in you. And he'll do it in a way that you need to. to he, knows how, he knows how your hearing is. And he's a good papa. And so if he needs to speak to you in German, he'll speak German to you. If he needs to speak to you in air, if he needs to just speak in your heart, whatever, he'll, he'll do it. I promise you, he's in you and he'll let you know he's in you. And just ask, are, are you really in me? Because I, I don't go to church. I don't worship you. I don't claim you. I, I'm, I thought I'm on the outs with you. But are you still in me? Is what he said true? And just you tell me what happens after that. Okay. Remember last Sunday? And I, I don't want to leave you hanging, and I'm not trying to brag on me. You know. But you remember I, I spoke about I'd had this dream, and I saw like this in, in named Joyce and all that. The lady that came up to me and said that word was for me, are you here today? The lady that walked up here last Sunday and talked to me. Okay, you might not even be here today. And the lady that emailed me that Sunday afternoon, are you here? The, the lady that, that walked up here and the lady that emailed me, I believe both of them said that they had only been here, that was their second Sunday. If you've been coming here a good while, you know a lot of wonderful things happen to people that only come one or two Sundays. <laughs> they, they, get a, they get tremendous words from the Lord. And I had a lady come and stood right here, immediately following the, the word that was given about move from Florida into Georgia uh, and all the things that I said. I won't go back over all that, but God doing, you know, the, the, the work. The lady walked up last Sunday and stood, she said, I got to tell you, I'm that lady. She said, but my, I didn't raise my hand because my name's not Joyce. My name is this. And I said, well, that's a beautiful name. And, and so she told me, she said, everything you said is exactly who I am. And it resonated and it went off in me that that was me. And she, and she said, and I receive it today. I went home Sunday afternoon and I'm sitting there, bloop, and I got an email from, went through the church website to me. And a lady uh, uh, said that, her and her son, had, or I think it was son, moved up, just had moved up. This was her second service and been moved up from Florida, and everything fit them. This is a different lady. But she said, my name's not Joyce. My name is so-and-so. But she said, thank you so much, Pastor, for saying that because it's given me hope. We've just moved from here, from Florida, 
everything you said happened is, is me. And she said, I know God's with me and for me. And she just said, thank you for, for saying that. So I put, I put the phone down, and I was sitting in my chair, and I just, in, in my heart, quietly, I just said, Papa, what, what is that? And he said, I didn't tell you their names was Joyce. You just assumed their name was Joyce. I said, to rejoice. <laughs> he said, I said, I told you to rejoice. You're so busy trying to get precise names. I just said, rejoice. You should have just said, this is your time to rejoice. For you have been living in Florida and this is going on and blah, blah, and all the details of that. And so it was their moment to rejoice in me. That their joy may be full. As mine is with the Spirit and with the Father and with the Son. You know? And so I'm still learning. I'm still learning. <laughs> and I laughed. I laughed. Because, see, I've been trained to try to, you know, be so, their name is Joyce and they live at such. <laughs> Just tell them to rejoice and tell them what I said. And they were there and they were in there and they were two of them there. And I had a word for both of them. Isn't that so cool that God would do that? And uh, so I said, I'll try to do better next time, Papa. <laughs> I'll try to listen better and try to stop my religious prophetic uh, brain from trying to be so precise. So I say to all of you, rejoice. Rejoice, because he is joy. And his joy, his joy that never fluctuates, he's not more joyful the next day or last week, for his joy that is consistent and constant, that is, not will be, that is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so you live in that joy because you live in the joy of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have wonderful joy. And when you enter into their joy, you can't help but be joyful, no matter what your circumstances are. So, Papa... Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the people that come into the joy that you have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I, I pray in Jesus' name that every person that ever hears this message through podcasts, through Facebook, through in person in the sanctuary, they would awaken to the truth and the reality that Christ is in them and has always been. And they've never been out. They've just not been awakened fully to the revelation of you in them. Like Paul did on the Damascus Road, that you revealed Christ in him, not to him, but in him. Because you're in him. And I pray every person awakens to that awesome, transforming glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I pray that we all come to a deeper understanding and a revelation of that joy especially in this time of the year. And may we look at everybody we come in contact with and just say, rejoice. Christ is in you. Do you not know that? Rejoice. Just rejoice. He's in you. He's for you. He's with you. He's Emmanuel. And he's always been. Amen. Love you guys. Go enjoy your Sunday, okay? God bless you.